Jesus, you are the only one who's good, who is righteous, who is holy. Any righteousness, any goodness, any holiness that we have comes from you because you live in us for those of us who trust in you. Because again, your blood is the only thing that can wash away our sins. There's nothing else. It was either our death or the death you paid for us. And we thank you so much that you paid for us to be reconciled to God, to have righteousness, to be children of the living God. So we praise you and glorify you, Jesus. We worship you because you are holy and good. And you will forever be holy and good because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thank you, guys. Is this going to work? Oh, here there it goes. I know what you're doing. That was Top Gun, everybody. <laughs> Gosh. As an 80s kid, you know stuff like that immediately. Children, vacate the area. <laughs> <laughs> I have all this. Well, good morning, guys. Glad to see you guys. I'm glad you guys made it through the planet, the ice planet Hoth. <sighs> I thought we were done with this, but apparently I was wrong. Oh, no, no. This is springtime in the Rockies. It says springtime in the Rockies. Sounds like a song that I don't want to sing. <laughs> this all the time. Yeah, I should probably know this, especially with what happened last year. Well, good morning. We're, we've been going through everything that has been happening with Paul. For those of you who've been here, we understand that Paul has made this trek to Jerusalem. We've been looking at Paul going into Jerusalem. And... You know, some things are going on. He's been falsely accused. He's been trying to make reconciliation with some of his Jewish Christian brethren who have been accusing him of going against the law of Moses and, and practically hating his own people. And he's doing the best he can, but unfortunately, upheaval and turmoil have happened. He's, he, uh, he caused a, a riot nearly in the temple because of being falsely accused of things. He's been arrested. He's been put before the Sanhedrin or the ruling religious ruling council of the Jews, and there's been chaos going on there. And what we saw last week, again, with the Sanhedrin is, is we see these group of Jewish leaders who just can't get along, even with each other. And we've got the Sadducees, and we've got the Pharisees, and the Sadducees were the wealthier of the two groups, they were the ones that only believed in the five books of the, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. That was the only word of God. They did not believe in resurrection. They did not believe in angels or spirits. And then you had the Pharisees who were pretty much the exact opposite. They believed in the first five books of the Bible and basically all the rest of the Old Testament along with oral tradition as the word of God. 
They also believed in resurrection. They believed in angels and spirits. They believed in all these different things. And so we see these two groups come together to judge Paul because he's been accused of breaking the Mosaic law. And they can't even get along. And we learn one of the big things that we learned is the problem is the same thing with the church today is all these different churches all claim to have the truth. The same Jesus that we preach here is the same Jesus being preached at Calvary Chapel or the Mountain or the Point Church or fill-in-the-blank whatever church. The only differences are very minor differences and an address change. And yet, sometimes those minor differences get in the way. And so instead of going, oh, the silly Pharisees, the silly Sadducees, I can't believe they can't get along, we as believers sometimes need to look in the mirror and say, we need to do the same thing. We need to get along. Because we need to be unified in the truth that is Jesus Christ. Because we can't fight amongst each other and then turn to the world and say, hey, come and be saved and come be like us. As we're backbiting each other and calling each other names and I'm not going to your thing because you believe in women pastors. Well, you don't believe in women pastors, so I'm not going to your thing and all this crazy mess. Because here's the thing, it all comes down to pride. My way is the right way. And when you do things like that, you create a gospel, you create a Jesus that is false and cannot save anybody. It's not my Jesus, it's not your Jesus, it is Jesus. He is the truth, the way, and the life, period. And if you create Jesus or the gospel in your image, you then turn to other people and say, follow my gospel and follow my Jesus. You're causing them to sin because you're creating a false idol that can't do any good for anybody. We have to remember to understand it's not what we think is right. It's not what we say people should act. It's not the way we say Christians should hold their services, or speak, or whatever. It's whatever Jesus says. And we are all unified under one God, one Lord, one Spirit, one way to salvation. And so that's kind of what we looked, about, looked at last week. Now we're going to see Paul move on from the Council of Elders in Jerusalem, and now we're going to see where God leads him next. But before we do that, let's pray. Holy Father, again, I thank you for your word, that you care so much for us, that you've revealed yourself to us through your word. Help us to learn from it. Holy Spirit, fill us so that we can understand it, to know it, and to follow it. Because again, according to your word, we need to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. So help us to apply it to our lives so that we can become more like you, so that we can be an even brighter light in this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so remember, Paul's before this council, and chaos ensues, and so the Romans take him away, 
and now he's pretty much sitting in the barracks, practically in jail. And then we hear Paul has an encounter with Jesus again. But the following night, this is Acts 23, 11, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Now, there's something to remember here. Paul felt God's calling and leading to go to Jerusalem. He made great efforts to take this trip and speak to all these different churches that he had helped establish in an effort to then get to, or get to Jerusalem as quickly as possible. Even, it even says he made certain decisions not to go into certain cities and meet with certain churches because they would have hold, held him up. They would have wanted him to stay there longer. And he said, I've got a mission. I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to do these things. And while there we read that Paul is basically making his final goodbyes to these churches. He kind of knows this is kind of the end game here. And he tells them, more than likely, the closer I get to Jerusalem, this is going to be the last time. And he even says this in Acts 20. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city that chains and tribulations await me. Nearly every church, someone within that church warned him through the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a problem. When you get to Jerusalem, there's going to be a problem. You are going to be bound. You are going to be arrested. There's going to be a lot of pain and issues once you get, once you get to Jerusalem. And even some believers took that as a sign that Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Yet, Paul was adamant that God called him there. I mean, look at Acts 21. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall Jews at Jerusalem bring the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when he had heard these things, both we and those who were at, from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he had not been persuaded, we ceased, saying, we ceased and saying, The will of the Lord be done. Again, Paul understood that though bad things were about to happen to him in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit never said, don't go. It just, hey, be prepared. This is what's going to happen. And oftentimes we, we want to hear from God and we want to hear nice things. Like everything's going to work out. Everything's going to be great. But we also have to be willing and lay aside our own will and say, even if I face problems, if you tell me to go there, I will go wherever it is. And so this is what Paul does. He goes and he gets his calling from God to go to Jerusalem to be Christ's witnesses to his own people. But things, again, don't go so well. Paul comes in. He's, again, trying to make peace with his Jewish brethren. And he, 
He thinks he may have this wonderful opportunity to tell people about the Messiah, but instead, all hell breaks loose in the temple because people are falsely accusing him of bringing a Gentile into the temple. And so they suddenly cause a riot, and they all try to kill him, which then causes the Roman garrison to come, and as was foretold by the Holy Spirit, Gentiles came and dragged him out of the temple and then brought him before the Sanhedrin, which is the, ruling, the religious ruling body of, the, of Israel. And now Paul again thinks, okay, that didn't quite work out, but here's now an opportunity to be a witness to the Messiah, to the very leadership of my countrymen. This is going to be a great opportunity. I'm going to be able to preach Jesus. I'm going to be able to show scriptures as to why Jesus is the Messiah. And all hell breaks loose. Because his first words caused the high priest to order him to be popped in the mouth, be slapped. He causes chaos because he says, I'm being judged because of the resurrection and the hope which then causes a doctrinal issue with the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. And now, once again, the Roman garrison has to come in and bring him to the barracks for his own safety. Now, this is not what you would call a successful trip to Jerusalem. We would look at this and say, you know, God called him to be a witness in Jerusalem, and, well, he failed. It didn't happen. There was two missed opportunities to present the gospel to his own people, something he constantly longed for and always wished would come to the truth. He always constantly wants his own people to know Jesus. But now at the efforts of going into Jerusalem and all the things that happened, now he just finds himself sitting alone in some barracks. And yet the Lord stood by Paul and said he did a good job because he says, you've been my witness in Jerusalem. You've done it. People didn't react the way you probably wanted, but Paul was successful because he did what Jesus commanded him to do. Simply be a witness for Christ in Jerusalem. End of discussion. Because here's the thing. God gave the Jews another opportunity to believe in and accept their own Messiah. Because again, this is proper, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. The, Jew, the Messiah was promised through the Jews. The whole point of God choosing the Jews to be his chosen people was the Messiah would come through them, and so they had first dibs on the opportunity to believe and accept the gospel. And he, Paul even reiterates that to a letter to Gentile Christians in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first and also for the Greek. So Paul was supposed to be a witness to Jerusalem to the Jews first, as was proper. Now he's had that opportunity. Now Jesus says, now go to the Gentiles in Rome. Remember, during this trip, it doesn't appear like a whole lot of Jews accepted the gospel. 
We don't know exactly what happened. We don't know how many, if at all, became followers of Jesus. And yet Jesus is still calling Paul to simply move on. Again, we are merely called to be witnesses of Jesus. We can't force people to believe or become converts. There's not a trick. There's not some program. There's not some presentation that we can come and and instantly everybody will just have to come to Jesus. We are simply called to just be his witnesses. And if anyone rejects that message, then we've done our job. If they say, I don't want anything to do with it, then we have done our part. Again, Jesus never taught his disciples to hang around town for as long as possible until every single person in that city or that town became believers. As a matter of fact, he says in Matthew 10, 14, whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, you will depart from the house or city and shake the dust off your feet. That's what we're called to do. Just be his witness. Believe in Jesus and be saved. No, thank you. All right. Hey, you, believe in Jesus and be saved. That's all we're supposed to do. And we're not going to go through it today, but I highly recommend you read the, the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, 1 through 23. And I want you to notice something. If you go ahead and read this, notice how it talks about thorny ground, rocky ground, you know, the sower's coming along, and he's throwing a seed at these different places. Notice it never says, well, the sower looked down at the ground, made sure it was ready, and then tossed the seed on it. All it says is, he just tossed it, wherever it was. Because here's the thing, the gospel is a free gift. Whoever wants to hear it, whatever's happening, we're to be open. We are to offer it to whoever wants to hear it. It's up to them then to accept it. At no point does Jesus specifically say, you have to make sure this person is ready and then do this. It, he just says, preach the gospel. And that's exactly what the church is called to do. Even when things seem unsuccessful, the only time we move on is when Jesus tells us to move on. Even if we think, well, no one you know, really believed in Jesus. I did an altar call and nobody came. So maybe I should stay here for a couple more days. If Jesus says move on, it's time to move on. If he says to stay, even when things are difficult, even when it's like, man, I don't know. I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall. Jesus says, nope, you need to stay right here. Then that's where you're supposed to be. No matter what. And so Jesus is telling Paul, okay, it's time to move on, even with murderous enemies nipping at his heels. And again, Matthew 23. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. We're going to find out that that didn't work out very well for them. Now, they were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow. 
as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Notice again the hypocrisy that we have here. Paul has yet to be convicted of anything, and yet people are bound to kill him. And so these 40 men make this weighty oath to kill Paul. They're not going to eat or drink anything. And they approach the chief priest. This is like today saying, hey, I want to harm this person. I want to kill this person and judge so-and-so. Make sure that they get there so I can do it. And imagine hearing that the judge said, okay, I'll work with you. That is exactly what's happening here. Again, there's no amount of hypocrisy that these guys don't understand. Instead of putting them out and reminding them, hey, you are breaking the law right now. We will not go with what you're saying. As a matter of fact, you're under arrest. We're going to turn you in. They go, okay, that's a great idea because the Sanhedrin thing didn't work. So maybe if we just kind of kill him while he's out and about, we'll be done with this guy. But their ends never justify the means. They're willing to break the law because they hate this man because they claim he broke the law. Humanity is sometimes weird. But by the grace of God, Paul gets warned of this plot, going into verse 16. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul, because of this warning, these set off a series of events. I want you to keep in mind that Jesus told Paul, you're going to be my witness in Rome. It has not happened yet. Right now, his life is under threat, so he doesn't know how it's going to work. But he's been warned, and now he's remembering, you're going to be my witness in, in Rome. And then this happens. 17 through 22, then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And then he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield uh, to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting to, for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. This is awfully weird because Rome honestly has no real dog in this fight. There's nothing found against Paul that he's done anything against Rome. And so Paul hasn't broken any laws. He hasn't caused any upheaval. They all know that Paul is a citizen of the empire. And so with that comes certain rights and protections and due processes, even if he's being accused of something. They have to go about this the right way. Now, it's interesting to me because the Jews 
blatantly hated Rome. They hated Romans. They couldn't stand Romans. They hated their occupation, and they even considered Romans less than dogs. But they were the ones following their own law. Whether they liked Paul or not, they couldn't even care less about what his message was. All they know is he's a citizen of Rome, he has a right to due process, and so these are the things we're going to do. Yet, Paul goes to the Jews, on the other hand, who are willing to throw away their own law for the sake of getting rid of a man that they hated for supposedly breaking the law. Remember, Jesus said, you will be my witness in Rome. So notice the shift here. He has to run from the Jews, his own people, who are plotting to kill them, and turn to the Romans for assistance. So we went from go to Jerusalem, now it's time to go to Rome. And from here on, Paul is basing every decision that he makes because of what Jesus said. Be of good cheer, you've been my witness in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness in Rome. And then Jesus begins to set Paul up perfectly in verses 23 through 24. And he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night, and provide mounts to set Paul on, and bring him safely to Felix the governor. Paul has a Roman escort. This is the point, this is what I mean when these men made this oath. We're not going to eat or drink anything. Now imagine, you've made this oath, you want to kill Paul, and then you see, what does it say? 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. I'll just die. (laughs) Never mind. But this is the beginning steps for Paul to go to Rome. Remember, he's gone from here... He's been talking to the Roman commander. The Roman commander is now sending him to the governor. And we'll see these continuous steps to go further and further and further. We talked about how Paul desperately wanted to preach the gospel to his own people. Paul actually has the same desire for the people in Rome. He's actually kind of mentioned this because there's a church in Rome that he's not met and he writes in his letter to those people in Romans 1, 9 through 10, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul wants to go to Rome. But this is a lesson we need to learn from Paul's life. Even if our desires are good, we always submit them to God and wait for him to determine when something is correct, when the timing is right, whatever that timing may look like. I mean, I really hope this isn't brand new information, but God knows more than us. So if your desire is to go or do something, even if it's good, even if it's from God, And he says, wait, you're supposed to wait. 
Don't jump the gun. And this is what Paul, Paul constantly, I want to come to Rome. There was multiple times, I think, where he tried to go to Rome and he was stopped. Now he's beginning to make his way there. He knows, Jesus knows the perfect timing of things and when and how to do things. We just have to follow his leading. I mean, one of the perfect ways, it, it says that Jesus came at the perfect time. And there's, there's a theory as to why it was a perfect time for Jesus to come. Because the Greek empire had come through and gave, and the big thing with the Greek empire was everybody needs to be Greek. And for everybody to be Greek, you all had to learn the Greek language. So we all had a common language. And then Rome came in, and their big thing was to build infrastructure, to build roads. And then there was the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, finally, that had happened. So right when Jesus comes and he sets up his church and begins to have the gospel spread, you have a common language and roads to get everywhere. Jesus comes at the perfect time. So again, Paul eagerly has a desire to do something good, but he's quick to relent to God's will and timing just like we're, we're supposed to do. But it seems Paul at this moment, Jesus is fulfilling his desire, and he even has an official Roman letter to accompany him. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor, Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for, this, for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Okay, you want to try to kill Paul? You let the Roman governor know why you want to kill him. Because again, during this time, only Rome can commit someone to be killed. Okay, this is a big thing. This is what happened with Jesus. This is why the Jews went to Pontius Pilate. And they even claimed, we know that only Rome can have the penalty of death. So we want this man killed. And so they're going to Rome, or they're going to the Roman governor, and pretty much saying, you go and tell him what the problem is. And he makes it very specifically clear He's being accused of breaking their laws. They're mad at him, but I find nothing wrong with this guy. Again, Paul's life reflects that he is a man of peace and he is just wanting to spread the gospel like his God has commanded him to do. And Rome sees that and says, we don't care because you're not causing problems for Rome. This was a big deal and this is why, like, we may not like it, but even during Roman times, Christians are called to pay taxes because we don't want anything to be accused of by the government saying, oh, you guys are up against the government. You guys hate the government. We need to make sure that we're living peacefully among people. 
And so again, Paul bases everything he does on the command that Jesus told him. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't even know what awaits him in Rome. All he knows is he needs to get there and that God told him that that's where he was heading. And he knows now that he's about to escape violent plans against his own people and now fully commit to being with the Romans. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. The next day they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked the province he was from, and when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. Now again, I'm not sure, but I don't think this is how Paul thought things were going to go. He didn't understand exactly what was happening. As a matter of fact, I feel like there's certain times in Paul's life where he's sitting there and he's like, how did I get into this mess? How did my life go from this to this? Not that he regretted anything because he always said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm ready to give up everything for Jesus Christ. But there's just certain times where you're like, I don't understand what just happened here and how I ended up here. And I, I want to tell you something again. You know, you guys know that Danielle and I are from a, a little small town. And one of the tricks, one of the things about being from a small town is this. Especially when you're young, you cannot wait to leave. It sucks. There's nothing to do. There's nowhere to go. It's boring. It's the same old 50 people that you see all the time. You can't wait to get out there and really be out in the world. As a matter of fact, I even tried to leave multiple times, and that stupid little town just kept pulling me back in. I moved to Salinas. I moved to San Jose. I moved all these different places. And for some reason, I kept going back to Taft. And then in a small town, once you kind of settle down, you go, okay, this is probably where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. It's where I'm going to live. And then you go, ah, it's not so bad. And, you know, now I'm getting older and maybe being in a big city is not that big of a deal and blah, blah, blah. And honestly, that's what Pastor Danielle and I really, really thought. We thought we had our lives planned. We were going to be in the same little country church. We are going to wait for our mentors to retire. That was kind of the plan. And then we were going to take over and for the rest of our lives be in that same little town, pastoring and ministering to the same people and little old Taft until it was time for us to retire. Nope. But here's the thing. We had a desire to minister and to pastor. That's what we wanted to do. We absolutely, and we absolutely, again, knew, well, it was going to be in Taft. But then God revealed his plans to us. But it wasn't the way we thought. Our, our mentors left earlier than expected. The district came in and picked somebody else. 
things started not happening. Things started to happen that we didn't see. But God still knew we had a desire to minister and to pastor. That was our desire. That is what we wanted. And my point is, wherever it is that you think you are, or what you're supposed to be doing, or whatever's going on with your life, you know, I'm this age now, so I should have filled in the blank. Or I'm too young for fill in the blank. And again, don't mistake me. I'm not saying you have to... If God's called you, you have to always make a drastic change. Sometimes God calls you far away. Sometimes he tells you to stay right where you are. But the idea is, whatever desire and mission God has for you, and he has given each and every believer a desire and a mission, get rid of your own ideas and notions of what that's going to look like. Whatever that may be, God may have the exact opposite plan for you. You could be sitting here and go, there's no way I'm staying in Salt Lake City for the rest of my life. And God's like, yes, it is. <laughs> You're going to be right here. Or you could be like us. There's no way I'm ever leaving Taft. Yes, you are. You're going to Salt Lake City. But we have to be willing, and we learn this lesson, whatever you want. I don't want to go fill in the blank. I don't want to stay here, but whatever it is you want, I don't care. Even if you claim you're going to get there and you're going to have a lot of problems, whatever. If that's where you want me to go, I'm going to go. Get rid of the idea that you're too young, you're too old, you're not qualified, you're too qualified. No one's going to listen to you, all these different things. If God tells you to go or do then go or do. That is how the gospel spreads. By people saying, what do you want, God? And then listening to him and doing what God says. That's all Paul did. He wasn't special. He wasn't amazing. He wasn't holier than the rest of us. All he said was, okay, Jesus, whatever you want, I'm going to do it. Not my will, but yours be done. And then I have two final verses as the worship team comes up. I normally only have one, but I really want to make sure we understand this. Look at Psalm 37.5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And again, he will bring it to pass how he chooses to do so. Because Proverbs 16.3, Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. I give you what I think needs to happen or what I feel you have called me to do. Now, where am I supposed to go next? What am I supposed to do next? Remember that it's all about Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul heard Jesus say, you've been my witness here, now you're going here. And Paul went, okay, whatever that looks like, I'm doing it. So that is the same lesson we need to take for the rest of us. If God has called you to do something, and if you're not hearing God, the first thing you need to start doing is first believe in Jesus Christ, trust in him wholeheartedly, and let the Holy Spirit fill you. Secondly, you want to start learning God's word. You want to hear from God, start reading his word. That's where you start. And then God will lead you to wherever it is that you need to go. And you have to be willing to say, 
Not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray. Holy Father, I thank you that um, circumstances don't really bother you. As a matter of fact, you see things that we can say is, oh my gosh, things didn't work out or things are disastrous. And you say, this is exactly as I planned because now A, B, and C can proceed. So we ask you to put, help us to put our trust completely in you and in your ways because your ways are higher than us. You know more than us. You see the way things are better than we can. We may have a desire and a hope and we may think this is exactly how it's going to be, but help us to lay that down at your feet and say, it's not what I wanna do. It's not how I think things should go. It's whatever you say. Father, help us all, help me included to be fully submitted to your will whatever the cost, Father, and sometimes it may even cost us our, our reputation or our lives. I don't know which, but we have to be willing to lay both down at your feet and help us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.